chat with Bruce Dovigan, and thanks to all of you for your kind comments on the shows we've been doing for over a year now. You can listen and subscribe to The Full Cat with Bruce Dobigan on iTunes and, of course, at my website, notthepublicbroadcaster.com. Let us know what you think, and please feel free to suggest shows you'd like us to do. Well, stress is an everyday fact of modern life. The pace of life today leaves everyone a little bit frazzled. We're told that stress is also a contributor to a number of illnesses, which helps raise our stress level even more. For some time, we've also known that stress can spread from one individual to another, even though the second individual does not experience the stress themselves. Researchers are now discovering that there is actually a change in the brain. This could explain a lot about human behavior. We often feel stressed after comforting a loved one who's experienced stress, and it's possible our brains have imprinted the experience as if it really happened to us. The results of this research are published And one of the authors of the research is Jaidi Baines of the Cummings School of Medicine at the University of Calgary. He joins us on this episode to talk about stress and how we can better understand to control our own levels of it. Welcome, Jaideep. Uh, so our listeners know, by the way, that uh, not only do you research stress, but you live it. Your your handle here is Stressinomics. That's right. <laughs> there you go. So you live it. First things first. Uh, you know, people have a, an impression of what stress is. What what is stress? Well, you know, stress is anything that really is a, a challenge uh, in your life. Originally, the response of the body to stress is designed to uh, survive. So you're trying to evade a threat. Uh, you've got to survive. There are a number of kind of defensive behaviors that you engage in. But there's also a, a release of hormones that help you not only deal with the stress initially, but then manage all the other fallout from the stress. Is, is there such a thing as good stress? For instance, an athlete going into a competition, are there good stresses and bad stresses? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. I, you know, good stress is something that really focuses you um, and uh, at, 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 with the task at hand and allows you to perform perhaps even better than you have been performing. Um, whereas bad stress is something that is uh, quite intense, uh, debilitating. You don't make good decisions. Uh, and it's the type of stress that can persist for a prolonged period of time. So we know the popular understandings. We've talked about them a bit here. Describe the chemical equations that occur in the brain. What, what are we talking about when you look at it? Uh, when we look at so, you know, there's um, what we refer to as kind of a stress circuit in the brain. And what we mean by that is that there are clusters of cells or neurons in the brain that talk to each other that are activated turned on electrically uh, when uh, you sense a stress. And so that can be a psychological stress. Uh, For example, uh, you have a deadline, a loved one has passed away, something terrible has happened in your life, or it can be a a physical stress. In other words, you're uh, jumping out of an airplane and skydiving. That's pretty stressful. Uh, And so these clusters of cells talk to each other through physical connections. And at these connections, they release chemicals. Uh, glutamate is uh, called an excitatory neuro- neurotransmitter. It, it activates other cells in the brain. And GABA is uh, an inhibitory neurotransmitter, and it shuts off cells in the brain. And so what all of these cell groups do when they talk to each other is they coordinate the behavior the autonomic response. And by that, I mean an increase in blood pressure and heart rate to prepare you. 
uh, an increase of blood flow to the muscles and away from, you know, your, your inner organs, like your, your stomach and uh, digestive system. Uh, and then they cause release of a hormone called uh, glucocorticoids. And these glucocorticoids, or, which are steroids that are made in the adrenal glands, then circulate and they mobilize uh, fat stores and energy stores uh, to prepare you to deal with the, the, the consequences of stress. Now, we were talking about the human brain here and what happens in the human brains. Do animals feel stress in different ways from humans? Um, you know, it's hard to know whether they feel stress differently. There, are, of course, you know, for a mouse or a cat or a rat, there are different stressors, meaning that, you know, for a mouse, uh, uh, a hawk that's looming over it and descending is a pretty big stress or a snake. Um, but in terms of inside the body, in terms of the circuits in the brain that are recruited, the hormones that are released and the changes that happen in terms of blood pressure and heart rate, uh, they're pretty much identical to what we have in humans. Now, your research has been uh, published in Nature Neuroscience. Um, tell us a little bit about the, the activity that the different sort of activities that can cause this. I mean, we talked a little bit about the, the late, the lay version of what causes these things to happen. How, is it through the eyes? How how do we sense these things and get these messages to the brain? Yeah, uh, you know, for for humans, uh, probably for most species, it's multisensory. You know, because the, the response originally was designed uh, as a survival response, uh, you basically take advantage of every single thing you can. So there's visual input, there's auditory input from the ears, obviously. Um, uh, there's um, when we when we think about people, we and we're interacting with, with other people. Uh, we look at their posture. We listen to what they say. We listen to how they say it. And a lot of these are really subliminal. Uh, the other one that's really interesting that's been described well in the animal kingdom are um, chemical signals like pheromones. Uh, and a lot of animals use these as a, as a really important way to communicate. And increasingly, we're finding that, um, you know, humans may also use different types of pheromone signals. Uh, and what's really cool about this uh, and what really intrigues me is that in some cases, these pheromone signals are things that we are not even consciously aware of. Such as? Um, well, the, the, the chemicals haven't been isolated. So, okay. so what I mean is, so if somebody is stressed and they walk into a room, they are emitting a, a chemical signature through their sweat glands. Uh, and that chemical signature may alter your blood pressure and heart rate. Uh, and you're not even aware, uh, that, that anything has changed. So your research and the thing that, that of course, is, is interesting for people and why we're talking today is this idea that the transference of stress from one individual to another is a, is a thing. How does this yeah. happen? Well, you know, um, in mice, it happens through a chemical signal, a, a pheromone. Uh, we've known for quite a while that, that stress is kind of transmissible to others. It kind of is contagious. Uh, because there are reports that, um, you know, for example, soldiers that come back from war who have PTSD-like symptoms, when they talk to members of their families, um, those loved ones over time start to exhibit similar symptoms um, to cues that actually they've never faced in real life. Um, they've just heard the stories. And so that's a that's an example of an, an actual experience being transmitted through verbal communication and perhaps through other means to others. 
something like when I'm driving and my wife is telling me to go slower or something, that kind of stress. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I'm sure you listen as well. <laughs> oh, I'm a good listener. I'm a good listener. Yeah. What's intriguing to me about this, and you're talking about the PTSD stuff, is, is I guess is that our brains are so... We can we can conjure up images and we can conjure up situations which we've never been in before, and yeah. and, and somehow put ourselves in them. That, to me, that's fascinating. Yeah, yeah. Our our brains are pretty unique that way, right? So we can think backwards and we can think forwards. So we can take an event that may or may not have even happened to us and then project it into the future and what consequence that might have for us. It's hard to really think about whether animals do that. Uh, I would think being able to think ahead. Uh, uh, in long term and put ourselves in that position is probably something that's quite uniquely human. Yeah. You, you did your research with mice. H how did you, you know, what was it you were looking for from mice that would get them, let, let you understand that there was stress involved? Yeah. So there's a few things. We look at one, uh, w uh, we can look at hormone levels. Uh, the second thing is we can just observe their behavior. So we have a very sophisticated kind of behavioral analysis system that, that we developed. And so the, the way that we look at it is that, um, that, uh, that mice have a behavioral language uh, that consists of very small micro behaviors. And you can put all these behaviors together and try to and try to understand what one mouse is saying to the other. Um, it's, it's pretty cool. And uh, the third thing we, we did was we looked at uh, circuits in the brain, actually, um, and showed that they, that they changed, that the, the electrical or chemical signatures of the area of the cells in the brain that, are, that coordinate the response to stress were altered. What, what sort of things were you doing to stress the mice? You know, what, did you give them assignments to do? Or, or did you do something with them? How did you get them stressed? Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's actually really uh, relatively easy to stress mice. Mice are pretty jumpy. Um, so um, in, in, um, in some mice, all you have to do is take them away from their partner for five or ten minutes. And that's enough to cause a stress response. Um, we, we amplified this a little bit in some mice by giving them uh, shocks to their feet. So these are pretty mild shocks, um, meaning that if you put your hand on the shock bar, you'd, you'd feel a little small little pinch, but, uh, but it, do it doesn't cause any damage to you. Uh, so we did that um, and then took them back to their partner. And then we just watched and then looked at what happened uh, to the cells and, and the brains of both of them. Mm. Now, you noticed that in females, the residual effects of stress on neurons were cut almost in half following time with their unstressed partners. But the same wasn't true for males. Ex explain what this means. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, we, we've, we had, we've had some previous work also, and, and others have looked at this idea about females in groups or in, uh, when they have a partner uh, seem to buffer the effects of stress. So they, so they blunt uh, what, what the consequences of stress on the brain. What this suggests is that um, it's not just buffering. It's actually erasing the effects of stress. Um, as you said, it doesn't happen in males, and, and this is really something that we're investigating very actively because I'm, I'm so fascinated by this idea. Um, you know, of course, it, it, I realize it plays into every stereotype that you might think <laughs> of for ages about, yes. you know, um, women in groups and talking and men actually, you know, uh, not talking about anything. And then if, when you start thinking about biology, you think, well, maybe men don't talk because there's no benefit to them. Yeah. That's, what, that's what the mice would say. Anyway, from the, from the mouse standpoint, <laughs> the men 
and the men don't seem to uh, seem to have any effect. So any yeah, any, I, any I, I mean obviously be, you haven't got the research finished, but any theories on why why this might be? Yeah, there's a we we have a couple of thoughts. One is that um, it's possible that that females are communicating um, to the stressed individual through some type of vocalization um, that we're not picking up yet. Um, we haven't really looked at that very carefully. Um, the other possibility is that there's a role for estrogen uh, in the brain. So we know estrogen, which is a, a sex hormone uh, in, in females, um, it also acts as a chemical um, signal and uh, transmitter in the brain to modify uh, specific circuits. Mm. Um, and then the third possibility that's been out there for a while, especially in pregnant females, is that there are higher levels uh, of a hormone called oxytocin. And oxytocin in the kind of public realm is often thought of as a, a love hormone or a bonding hormone. Uh, and so it's possible that, that in females, the actions of oxytocin are erasing some of the some of the effects that stress and the chemicals that are released by stress are having on these neural circuits. You're listening to the Full Count with Bruce Dobigan. Our guest this episode is J.D. Baines of the Cummings School of Medicine at the University of Calgary, and we're talking about stress. Um, one of the things that's getting a lot of play these days is uh, Jordan Peterson is talking a lot about the effects of serotonin, uh, serotonin in the brains of lobsters and serotonin in the brains of, of, of human beings. Does serotonin come into your research at all? Uh, you know, we haven't looked very much at serotonin. Um, we've looked at noradrenaline, which is chemically related to serotonin. Um, and those two chemicals often trick each other's receptors, so they often bind to the same targets. Um, but, we, but we have not done anything with serotonin. Yeah, because he uses that, of course, to talk about domination in, in animal clusters or in groups of lobsters or whatever in terms of how, how they operate and uh, how it creates hierarchical, hierarchical structures uh, within groups. Right, right. Yeah, I, I'm I'm fascinated by Jordan Peterson. I've got to tell you, I, I've not really listened to very much he's been talking about, uh, kind of by design, I think. So yeah. So so okay. Here's here's the important part now. Uh, you're obviously not all the way there in terms of your research, but what, what are you learning about your in your research that gives us some knowledge how to control stress in our own lives? Yeah, I think I think this is really a great question. I mean, there's there's ways that you can control stress even before it happens, meaning that you know if if you uh, if you if you exercise, if you if you take time away from your busy life and just kind of unplug, that's been known for a long time to be to, to allow you to manage stressful events when they happen. The other thing that's really interesting uh, that's emerging from from studies, and we have some ongoing work on this now as well, uh, is that. If you're exposed to stressful situations over which you have control, then that control transfers to other situations as well. Uh, whereas if you're exposed to stressful situations repeatedly over which you have no control, that 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 also transfers and then you feel helpless in situations. So you can kind of inoculate yourself against stress by challenging yourself with stressful things, but in a way that you know you can control the outcome. Well, what would be an um, example is, uh, of that? Well, you know, I think about I think about um, um, athletes as you're learning as you're learning a skill. You learn you learn in a way that um, you master a skill in a very simple way. Let's say you're shooting a puck. You know, like the goalie maybe just lets you score over and over and over on purpose, and then when it's time to score, um, 
you kind of are able to harness that in a, in a situation that's stressful. That's probably not a great example. Um, but you know, I think, I think you're not, I'm not really talking about practice, I guess, but, um, I'm just thinking about lab examples and, I, and I'm not really coming up with a great one for humans right now. Yeah. I, I, well, I, you know, you see a lot of athletes who, who are, you know, they close their eyes and they, and they basically visualize, et cetera, to try to give themselves a positive thought before they go into it. And I guess that would be one thing that would help to, you know, like a golfer who's got a big golf shot, he closes his eyes, he visualizes the swing to get his tempo, et cetera. And then he walks up and he feels better about it. I guess that might be one example of how to, how to control stress by using, you know, systems you have for yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, when I play golf, I try not to think about my swings. So that's... <laughs> you know I mean? you know I mean? That might be the only thing in terms of you and I that we have in common at the moment <laughs> about the golf swing. This is fascinating stuff. So, so where do you take it next? Um, so, you know, we're, we're kind of really intrigued by this idea of um, social transmission of emotion. That's really what we're looking at in a bigger context. Um, is 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 how do we how do we transmit our internal emotional state uh, to others? Uh, and the reason I find this fascinating is because um, the the inability to detect other people's emotional states is at the heart of a lot of uh, disorders that we see in modern society: social anxiety disorders, uh, other disorders like like um, autism spectrum disorders. Yeah. Uh, and so we're we're really intrigued by trying to figure out. Um, where in the neural pathways do you have disruptions uh, in in models of these disorders? Uh, and once you figure that out, can you try to reverse those uh, um, disruptions or defects uh, either through behavioral modifications or through some of the newer uh, technologies that are available like um, transcranial magnetic stimulation or things like that to try to, to try to um, get neural circuits to start talking a little bit differently. Yeah, interesting. I have a son who has Asperger's and uh, uh, would be very interested in seeing your research and just sort of an explanation for him as to why he is the way he is. Yeah. Yeah, and, yeah, and I think and I think what the, the other thing that my research, our research points out, which I'm quite fascinated by just at a, at a philosophical level, is that is that we've always considered and neuroscience considers an individual's brain to be an individual's brain. In other words, your experience modifies your brain yeah. but if your experience begins to then modify other people's brains well then that's kind of it's kind of amazing and says yeah. some remarkable things about maybe how we should be interacting with others yeah and maybe how, how powerful political figures or something like that are able to influence large groups of people by passing on those kind of messages or stress messages yeah absolutely absolutely well this is fascinating stuff jd i really appreciate you taking the time today thanks very much yeah my pleasure bruce You've been listening to The Full Cat with Bruce Dobigan. Our guest today was J.D. Baines of the Cummings School of Medicine at the University of Calgary. You've been listening to The Full Cat with Bruce Dobigan. Our guest was J.D. Baines of the Cummings School of Medicine at the University of Calgary. Don't forget to subscribe to The Full Count and all of our podcasts at iTunes and on my website, notthepublicbroadcaster.com, where you can also find my columns, my podcasts, and my poetry. I'm also appearing three times a week with Jeff Samet on Sirius XM Radio, Channel 167, Canada Talks. I'm on at noon Eastern Time, Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. I'll post those conversations on my website, on Twitter, and on my Facebook pages in case you can't hear them live. Till the next time, this is Bruce Dobigan, and remember, the story isn't complete till it reaches the full count. Your